0: sitting on the floor <laughs> the the task cam is at tatami level and uh the single shots disembodied from the space and uh it's all coming together, baby. We're family, and yeah. we're changing. Modernism from the West is coming in.
1: Eddie and I are confronting generational differences between Malcolm <laughs> and ourselves.
0: Malcolm's remembering the war, but we we were babies during the war, so we don't really have any of I, that memory. <laughs> we're older
1: than Malcolm.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought Malcolm was like the patriarch, yeah. the Ozu that, patriarch. That is
2: that is natural. You would assume, you know, me. You see me, and you're like, well, that guy's a patriarch, kind of like a. You could lead a family, so I don't blame you for making that assumption. But are you going to let JT get married? Uh, (laughs) Not to that, not to the, well, I don't want to make any rash comments. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 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 uh. JT, JT, love is love. You can marry whoever you want. (laughs) I'm not like one of these stuffy father types, you know? That's kind of like what goes on in Equinox Flower, right, Eddie? Kind yeah. of what we're talking about here.
0: I mean, we we said you said this at least about Elaine Renee, but JT, does Ozu love love?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did say that. <laughs> Ozu
1: Ozu does love love. Ozu's like the most one of the most empathetic filmmakers that I I have ever encountered. Like honestly, like an all time fave. I mean, at some point, I can get in. I, on my Ozu deep dive and the the thoughts that I have about the man as a whole. But uh, it was such a treat to return to Equinox Flower. Such a gentle and moving movie.
0: I mean, I think we can start broad with this. I think it would it maybe even be better to talk about Ozu on the whole up front and then get into what makes Equinox Flower so special in particular.
1: Yeah, that sounds good to me. I mean... This week, I watched a lot of early Ozu features um, and some fragments of, like, lost films that are, like, th- that have been edited together and called short movies, but they're just really, like, very stray pieces that it's, like, hard to, like, rank or evaluate them.
2: I was going to say, how, how are watching those? Like, how do those, like, do those narratively cohere at all? Or? Um,
1: To some extent. I mean, yeah. like, that they're, like a handful of connected scenes and in in what I imagine would be generally a short movie, like probably like 60, 70 minutes, but Mm -hmm. there it's, I don't know. It's too. And like the quality of the print also is like pretty fucking bad. So it's hard to judge.
2: It's for completionists. Yeah. uh, Like us.
1: Exactly. I mean, I want to like some point very soon, I want to finish all his whole filmography. That's like not lost. And, uh, um, I don't know, just do my Ozu rankings. But aside from just meticulously ranking his films, this time around, I went Ozu mode like maybe uh, two years ago, and I did like most of his sound stuff and then his final, like his color films, six of which are like, or uh, two of the six are uh, remakes of his silent films. And this time around, while I was doing the silent work, I was reading a piece that uh, Rosenbaum did about Ozu and he said something that I feel like really hit me this time around that is a general misconception. A lot of people in the West I feel like have about Ozu and that it's, it's a defining his work as very slow and conservative and that like, A lot of, I mean, it's in the fucking like letterboxed uh, synopsis for Equinox Flower that it's like, oh, his color films are a shift in perspective to being more sympathetic to the younger generation, which I think that's like kind of bullshit and like disregarding a lot of his silent work because he has a great deal of empathy for the youth and like generational divide. A lot of his silent films are about like people struggling with poverty in the midst of economic depression. On like the other end of, or on, a more progressive end of it. There's uh, what did the lady forget? It's like not as much about economic hardship, but it's about a general acceptance of a more liberal attitude of like lib- uh, liberated women. And I think Rosenbaum really gets onto something in saying that like people who have this mindset of like Ozu as uh, a very conservative and like more traditional praising tradition over modernity are folks who've just seen tokyo's story and just sort of quit from there and assume that like this i mean it ends on a negative beat and like is not optimistic about the future and that it's they leave thinking that he has uh, a bleak attitude towards western modernity um but ozu's films have a more complicated relationship to tradition and modernity i think because Ozu clearly admires like Western filmmaking, like I was talking about in the main feed episode, um, he name drops uh, American filmmakers in his journals, um, characters in his movie, like talk about Hollywood actors, and the evolution of post World War II capitalism in Japan is like so central to his work, and like that shifting dynamic and like the Westernization. I think it would be really reductive to like. Uh, think that as intelligent of a filmmaker as Ozu would just be solely a traditionalist. And I think there's a great dialogue in all of his movies and a a powerful synthesis where he's able to emphasize or empathize with characters who have these very nostalgic and traditional points of view and also combine them with the youth um, where it's an appreciation of tradition But a somewhat sort of reluctance that progress and the gears of the future are like pushing you forward and you can't escape it. And I think my main connection to Ozu in that respect is he's someone who's a lot like Ford. But like where Ford works on like a mythic and like larger scale, Ozu's reckoning with the past and modernity is on a very small personal scale. And I know we love talking about late style. And I think that Ozu's late style with these color films are some of his best reflections on uh, tradition and modernity because I think by like you're entering the 60s now in Japan, it's you pretty much have to accept that like it's pretty westernized. And I think that comes across in Equinox Flower in particular because of the setting like it is in more like general offices and takes place in the city. More so than earlier Ozu films. And I think that also stylistically, at this point in his career, he's sort of stripped down and like he knows what he's doing really well. And he has mastered just like film is the image, he's added sound to it, and now he gets to play with color for the last uh, six films.
0: Yeah, we were talking off Mike JT before Malcolm got here about Ozu's progression and watching so many of his films now you can see, you know, how he's adding these new elements into cinema. Of course, Japan uh got sound film later than the states and so uh he, you know, goes to sound a little bit later and then he goes to color a little bit later too and just He seems so formally ahead of the curve, even though he's like taking his time with each of the kind of technical innovations that are leading the way in popular film style, which makes him stand out so much compared to studio filmmakers of the time and even the other auteurs that people love from Japanese cinema at the time.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, especially this being Equinox Flower being his first color movie, like it's so vibrant and the way he like has like sort of the characters outfits like pop and be more expressive and like particular objects like the the very famous red tea kettle that he has Mm. in a lot of his color work. Um, just really stand out against some of the more like flat neutral colors of the background.
0: You also watched a uh, record of a tenement gentleman this week, right? That I did. That, I love that one. I feel like, so. That's the first like post-war one he did. He makes it one year before late spring, and it's kind. Of, it's often I guess disregarded as minor. Maybe uh, I, I don't really seen it. I don't really see it ranked up there with his best ones. But I really love it. It's one of the first ones where it's like the Western influence stuff is so clear. And it's also such like a harrowing portrayal of a child too. Uh, But it also has some breezy stuff and, you know, kid pisses the bed pretty funny.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No, I think what you're saying, JT, kind of like how Ozu has this reputation of being kind of like almost maybe like cinematic vegetables or something like that. I think you pair that with just his subject matter or his perceived subject matter rather Plus, like, his canonization, like, people who are skeptical of, like, canon filmmakers. And probably more so than any other uh, non-Western filmmaker, Ozu is probably canonized and well-respected. Well,
0: other than Kurosawa.
2: Oh, yeah, true. You're right. You're right. But, yeah, those are the big two. Those are the big two. And, like, something like Equinox Flower proves, you know, that completely wrong. Because, of course, we do have some, like, you know, some serious and maybe some somber reflections from the dad. There's a lot of, you know, antics going on in this movie. Mm -hmm. A lot of fun things that, like, the... The mom character and like the sisters are kind of towards the end of the movie, kind of just playing around with the dads, giving them the runaround exactly. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, uh, I don't know for people. I think you know what you said is very true. It's very uneducated to be like, it's like Ozu, what you know, good movies, but you know, I don't want to be sad, you know, I don't yeah. want this, I want to. You know, family stuff. I don't like my family. Also, I, as <laughs>
0: such a singular formalist, like, the way that he'll just cut from people's expressions that feels almost surreal. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It, it, I could see it being perceived as difficult in an arthouse way. But I feel like that's never Ozu's intention. And also, Mm -hmm. you know, the cuts to the classic, you know, pillow shots is almost like a hack thing to say in regards to Ozu now. But shots to exteriors where there's no people in them. And then even back to the scene we were just in to pass time. Those are, I, I feel like, so visually... Pleasant on such a base level and same with just like the interactions that as loaded as they may be with subtext uh, are just so watchable on such a base level that uh, especially through this very individual style that he carves out for himself and where all of these shots of characters, you know, that medium close up kind of medium shot one shot of characters just kind of looking directly at the camera uh can say so much but also can just be so like easy to take down you know not take down to to watch like <laughs> easy to drink down yeah you know? yeah no it <laughs> goes think, down the hatchet easy <laughs> i think a lot of
1: uh what i enjoy about ozu much like i, I said earlier with ford is like a simplicity and like directness i mean obviously there are a lot of like higher levels that it's operating on but it's very easy to digest in that sense and like i don't know you might go into it like with art house mode trying to overthink yeah. it but there are a lot of like i don't know fucking fart jokes in there too
2: yeah i know those movies are very character driven as great as like the visual mm-hmm. style is i mean it's i feel like kind of like these uh, medium close-ups are just kind of to make you feel the impact of the conversation you know mm-hmm. even more so
0: I, I mean I guess they're medium shots, but they just I, I can't help but thinking of them more as like close-ups because of how expressive the mm. faces are and how like isolated those characters feel in space despite the other characters being in the room. Sorry, I almost killed a fly. It's <laughs> driving me crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I saw it uh Malcolm over here looking like Mike Pence. There's a, there a freaking fly on your head.
2: Oh fuck! <coughs> you got it. That's that political you're shit. satire people were waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that Trump's out of office, we can make plenty of jokes about him. So we're not going to hold back anymore.
0: Office <laughs>
2: <laughs> now that he's out of office, we won't hold back <laughs> at all. We're, we don't, we're not afraid
0: um i think my favorite ozu going into this was late spring but that's as far as i've seen like chronologically too i've seen a ton of his er- not a ton i've seen like eight of his earlier movies and uh late spring and this was the first color one that i watched skipping a few uh including tokyo story and like the munaketa sisters but equinox flower what a lovely film! Uh, thank you for bringing it to the table, J.T. Why, why was it this one in particular that you wanted to bring?
1: Um, I just this one and an autumn afternoon. His last movie are probably my two favorite color Ozus, and I figured it would be better to start with the first one than just like dive in to yeah. his last. <laughs> um, but also, I just really like I don't know in terms of like story rhythm. I like how. Um, this one plays out with a lot of like similar beats, uh, where it's, uh, the, the, you get the boys drinking in the beginning, you get a wedding in the beginning and you have that like paired at the end as well. And like, and like the the perspective of this is really interesting too, where it's like mostly through, uh, like Mr. Hirayama, the, the patriarch, um, and like how he is like sort of, uh, interacting with other people's daughters and sort of he's like he has his own central plot but he is also helping the the interpersonal lives of mm-hmm. other characters around him and i i love the way he weaves the story together
0: yeah Hirayama is the protagonist and like the focal point of this interweaving narrative of trickery and arranged marriage and classic ozu generational clash and creeping western influence he consults with a friend who's dealing with some paternal issues before confronting his own. And he kind of deals with his friend's family as like a trial run to experiment with more modern values, kind of, until it turns out that that trial run uh, might actually be the real thing. Might have got the once-over putting on him.
2: Yeah. No, I think the way this is narratively constructed is super clever. You know, even maybe more so than I've noticed in other Ozu films. Um, but I think feel like the decision to really focus on the father character and have it, you know, be told through his eyes is a very you know smart decision and gets on at something very specific, like something like the. Like, you know, I keep I keep fast-forwarding to the ends, you know? What am I, uh, <laughs> Stewie Griffin? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, like, something like how the, the daughter's wedding is not even, like, seen yeah. or whatever. And it's more, like, him having to accept the marriage that is kind of, like, the the final period on the film is just a uh, shows what it's trying to get at here mm-hmm. it, and it feels
0: again lame or like hack or whatever to call ozu kind of graceful but there's no real other way to describe his cuts from interior to exterior and like the objects that he decides to linger on just to you know shoot a nice still life of a tea kettle or a flower vase or something like that or uh you know shirt hanging on a clothesline I don't know just the way he moves from these images like the cut has never felt less rigid kind of even though there is classic juxtaposition of images where you make meaning but it's still just like the images just kind of flow one after another and they're all so meticulously beautiful uh, but in a way that again feels so graceful and also to go back to Ford I think that's a really great comparison uh, especially for scenes where the boys are drinking. And compare that to, like, Ford's classic turn-up scenes, you know, like in Wagon Master Mm -hmm. where they're all doing the chuckawalla swing. (laughs) 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 And, like, there's so many scenes like that in Ford where they're just, like, dancing their fucking asses off. And in this one, it's so much more restrained and traditional. But they're still just, like, getting hammered and singing old songs together. I mean,
1: they're, like, also really bawdy with it at first where it's, like, their whole discussion of... And, I mean, they bring it back at the end where they're talking about, like... Um, how, like trying to guess who has had like w- daughters or sons because they're <laughs> yeah. trying to debate like which one like makes the the father or the mother stronger.
2: <laughs> Classic debate. We were, we yeah. were actually just debating this off mic before we got on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like I like yeah when they sing together too. I love like it, that it's like a, a war song too, yeah. and that it's like they're kind of they're kind of stealing valor in that moment <laughs> where it's like it seems like they're. Feeling like some sort of generational war pain and even though I mean that's brought up in an, another way I don't know if I he- mean they were all in the war thing, so yeah
0: I mean yeah it's like the 50s and their middle-aged men they, they were like in the war and the American occupation. <laughs>
2: Oh well, true. Well, I thought. Well, they weren't soldiers, though, right?
0: Well, maybe not. No, because uh, the the patriarch of the family, like you know the the way they describe it, he was in the bomb shelters with his family. Okay,
2: so yeah, I get. I was informed. So maybe, by, yeah, maybe informed, they weren't soldiers. Informed by that, I don't, and like I maybe don't maybe maybe, the, maybe the rest. Yeah, maybe the rest of them were soldiers, but I think yeah. it's just I don't know. I f- I found the war song choice kind of just funny, knowing that the patriarch didn't yeah. seem to like be a soldier yeah way. yeah i don't know i don't
0: know maybe he was maybe maybe he's gonna chris kyle you from heaven <laughs> right now <laughs> for <True>. saying that <laughs>
1: i mean that's like song in general just like there are moments of like um reflection on the past and like uh, world war Two in particular here that just like ring like so sad and yeah. just like just the i mean that I, I th- that moment there where they like some of the lyrics are the the warrior ponders what the world is coming to yeah. um or is so fucking bleak yeah but I mean it's it's a very joyous moment and there's another like very melancholy beat that happens where it um Hirayama and his wife, are um at the the lake yeah. and just reflecting upon like oh this is going to be the last time we're all going to be together as a family and just talking about the past and growing and uh, raising kids during the war and stuff like that and it's just like it's there's a warmth there but such sadness too that
0: scene is incredible like yeah. the the smile that she's forcing on her face the whole time while she's talking to him and then uh their two daughters just like boating around in the lake below them just kind of you know metaphorically and physically drifting away from yeah, them exactly. and their traditional values it's like you know the metaphor a lot of this stuff you could accuse it of being too on the nose or obvious but I don't know, again, it's that grace with which Ozu presents these very huge ideas and emotions. You know, at one point, I believe it's the friend from college that visits that tells uh hirayama you know we carry on the dreams of our youth forever and that line is like oh my god you would never say that to a person yeah (laughs) like that is such a heavy line especially in conjunction with like the songs that they sing and thinking and how they remember the war you know the mother remembering it very fondly because like this this is the uh when they're on the bridge discussing that that's the last time they're going to be together. And the war was the last time before that, that she could remember them all being one as a family. Yeah. And that is so sad. Yeah, like that's having, yeah. having the trauma of like World War II just
2: structure your entire life story, you know? Yeah. And I like, a, you know, the father's reaction, just being like, well, I didn't like that time. That was... She was pulling a Jojo rabbit. She yeah. was like, you know, it was bad, but we had fun. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Don't uh, don't cry because it's over. Yeah, smile because it. Well, nah. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I also love uh, the other friend, the woman that comes by, uh, the the wife of the friend's family. Sorry, I'm being so vague in the description, but mm-hmm. she's just like talks his ear off at his office the first time (laughs) for like 10 minutes straight and he's just getting so tired of it and he's just like I gotta go to the toilet (laughs) that is one of the funniest things in any Ozu movie for me is just him excusing himself from that lady's story going on for like and just every thought she has she has a detour that takes five sentences
1: I mean that's a great thing about like that I mean again disproving like Ozu is like dry and like all like bitter. Sadness. There are like very funny moments where he's like playing on the social situations. I mean, another one of my favorite gags in it is um, Hirayama's uh, the. The, the employee he has taking him to the bar uh to talk to his friend's daughter. <laughs> um just like him having to pretend like he doesn't go to the bar all the time yeah. and then getting caught there the second time. It's just that shit's great. And yeah. the people
0: working at the bar are totally teasing him about <laughs> yeah. it the whole time. It's so good. And yeah, that's like sitcom level staging when mm-hmm. he goes back to the bar the next night without our main character, his boss, you know, and he's like, Oh God, all right, I'm never gonna act like that again you know, give me my usual, uh, and then he just walks back through the door again. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. I... <laughs> oh god this this film has hijinks like all oh, yeah. over the place. <laughs> this, this film is just filled with hijinks. So the the main crux of the hijinks that we discussed earlier though comes at the point where, you know his daughter uh setsuko of course you know ozu had worked so much with setsuko hara and so of course that character name takes on so much meaning as well uh but he doesn't want her to get married to the guy that she's in love with wants her to do a classic trad arranged (laughs) marriage you know so this uh, friend's family that we've been talking about, the daughter, then describes her story as if it was, you know, the same story and asks for advice and, you know, convinces him to go with a more progressive route and say, you know, I guess you you could marry that guy, you know. Yeah. And then the rug is pulled out from under him. I think I said the once over earlier. Wrong yeah. terminology there. <laughs> uh, the runaround was given to him. Uh, and uh, so he was caught. Uh, in you know the fault of his own logic he was defeated by he was truly owned by his own logic I mean, yeah. which is great <laughs> i feel
1: like it's something where it's like it's a classic like situation that like a lib parent might be in where yeah. it's like they they have they adopt these faux progressive values but then when it comes to like you're, like, your front door. It's, like, will you really act on, like, you're, like, having modern or progressive values? And, like, he doesn't want to. Like, they... um, She brings up the contradiction where it's, like, you said, like, earlier, if, like, Setsuko had, like, a boyfriend that she, like, actually loved, this would be so much easier. You wouldn't have to arrange a marriage. And then, like, obviously he's hurt that, like, she kept the boyfriend from him. But, like, (laughs) that situation emerges. And he's, like extremely upset about it
2: no that's that's what's great because it's like it's not that even you know the father has like this kind of like idea of like tradition it's like she has to have like a arranged marriage i think he earlier asked his wife it's like should we do this like maybe not you know what i mean he doesn't it seemed to have a strong opinion either way but what he wants is just the classic patriarchal control of the family and you know he'll contradict himself just to have it and then You know, it's kind of him kind of coming to terms with, you know, maybe I don't have as strong as a grab as I as I thought.
0: Yeah. And you said that, you know, more of these scenes take place outside of the house than usual. Uh, But the domestic scenes are very strong here. Uh, There's even that, you know, throughout you see this ritual of uh Hirayama's undressing this is something you'll see in other ozu movies as well but I feel like there's especially close attention paid to it in this one where every time he just demands his wife to be at his side to take his you know suit from him exchange it for his nightgown you know he takes his pants off uh and there's just like that formal kind of aspect to the the routines that he goes through every night uh you know, of course juxtaposed by all of that creeping western influence you even have a shot where the classic red ozu tea kettle is framed between two bottles of orange soda you know (laughs) it's like it doesn't get more much more obvious than that it's also a completely beautiful shot
1: and i mean in relationship to like him having these very formal gestures with his wife i like that there's like clearly like i don't know the implication that like he's n- not that happy uh, or, or oh, like yeah. i mean at points like he he is but like i don't know when he's talking to uh the family friend's daughter and he's like uh, uh talking about oh you think it's uh the the gold or brass like oh, metaphor yeah, yeah, <laughs> is rough. <laughs> uh, yeah
2: no i think that's what's another interesting aspect that i think happens in a lot of ozu movies because like there's that aspect where, like, you know, you'll have characters kind of, it seems like they're shielding emotions, right, or trying to make their emotions feel different. So it's kind of interesting when a character does reveal something that personal or something like that. I mean, that's kind of like the tone setter for the movie, just him at the wedding saying, like, you know, me and my wife's sweating wasn't as romance filled as yours you know it's kind of a little bit more traditional a little bit more you know just a classic transaction you guys you guys found each other naturally you have love me i didn't quite have that so i hope you guys enjoy that and it's just like and you it cuts to the wife just you know quick little shot and she's just you know fucking devastated obviously. yeah of
0: course and uh his wife is also like great there's the scene where She's just like totally vibing out to the radio. <laughs> I, I really love that scene. Yeah. Uh because it's like some pretty cool stuff on the radio too, I gotta say. Uh but then like <laughs> multiple times
2: uh Hirayama just shuts that shit off. Just what are you what are you listening to? <laughs> <laughs> I mean speaking to speak on you know uh what's what's the father's name? I shouldn't say his name. Uh Wataru Hirayama. Hirayama. Uh like his relationship with um His friend's daughter is so much more, you know, like you said, it's like the classic lib thing. I hold these values. Will I enact them in my own home? But aside from even that, it seems like he has so much more fun hanging out with her than he does his own family and kind of like these weird. Traditional like kind of front he has to put on for his family when in reality he's kind of a pleasant person when he wants to be
0: Mm -hmm. And also like one of the big, you know thematic truths that this gets at toward the end through dialogue is the Inconsistencies of life, you know, the question is asked is he being inconsistent in his logic or is he just being parental? And it's that exact contradiction. It's like, you have those values, but not for my kids, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, all that stuff's fine and good, but don't bring it to my daughter. You know what
2: I mean? Uh, Uh, I'm a progressive, (laughs) I'm a progressive guy, but not on my block. That's all I got to (laughs) say.
0: Uh, but it is kind of a sad truth that that's just like something you have to deal with. Kind of is like, yeah, that contradiction and how life is full of those very, very difficult contradictions that we just kind of have to work around. And I mean, I think ultimately it
1: does wind up on something very beautiful where, I mean, like, through a little bit of tricking and pushing, like, yeah. Hirayama does, like, he loves his daughter. Yeah, like, of course. And uh, he's only, like, he's frustrated with Satsuko because he wants the best for her and sh- he wants to make sure that, like, she'll be, like, uh, economically fine she'll be happy all that jazz and ultimately when he's like sort of forced into seeing that like she did what she wanted she'll be happy like all you have to do is support her mm-hmm. that he, he winds up going with it and that's like when that realization sort of comes to him it's just breaks my heart because it's mm-hmm. such like a beautiful like a- and peaceful thing where he just lets the love and warmth overtake uh his uh the his feelings of frustration
0: yeah i mean i also love how it wraps up too because it's just the day before the wedding he still isn't gonna go supposedly and then you just get that nice shot of that uh, wedding glove arriving at their door you know and uh that's all that you need to know <laughs> a quick exchange with the wife to confirm that he's going and then the next scene takes place after the wedding, as we mentioned earlier. It's completely elided. And uh he goes to stay at the inn that his friends family runs, and they convince him to go see his daughter, and he does. And as the film began at a train station, it ends with him on the train heading out. You gotta love the train imagery. Oh, yeah. You know, either starting or ending a movie on a train, but when you give me both oh <laughs> uh, it's a guaranteed high score for me
2: no yeah i mean i feel like the ending shot is intentionally packed with so much meaning yeah like it is like it's him riding into the future you know exactly I mean? it's like i don't you know i don't like what biden stands for but you know this. <laughs> no, i'm not gonna vote for trump again yeah yeah i don't know that was kind of that was lame to bring it to that's a okay. hack political place
0: it's okay
1: <laughs> i mean i think that like i don't know one thing that about Ozu's personal life and just the ability that he's able to emp- empathize with both the young and the old in that way. I mean, obviously him self being more on the old side of things. It's it, the way he taps into familial relationships and just like uh, father-daughter stuff and like other things with like sons. It's just crazy because he was a man who lived with his mom his entire <laughs> yeah. life. <laughs> and didn't move out, didn't fuck. I mean, maybe he fucked, but didn't have a kid.
2: It was kind of like uh, Stewie Griffin in the future of Goals. the family. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel
0: like the Jewish Ozu. Jewish Ozu.
2: <laughs> Who would be the Jewish Ozu if we had to pick? One?
0: <laughs> I can't. No, I. No, I, no, I don't no. have it. I. I literally don't have anything. Me neither. Um. No, I don't have anything. <laughs> bye <laughs> let's 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 leave that to the viewer yeah hit the us email,
1: up <laughs> who's the jewish ozu for next week's podcast
0: uh next week's patreon is play misty for me right yes sir all right goodbye patreon EASTWOOD.